Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Dana Mossman. He is co-founder at Triminator. We're going to talk to him about the work that they do on the uh, production side of cannabis, uh, helping get things from kind of raw product to uh, finish good, obviously lots of steps as this industry has evolved and expanded. I'm always fascinated by these kind of uh, segments of the industry, you know, businesses that uh, get founded and grow um, to help with uh, various aspects of this process. You know, as we get bigger, more technical, more uh, operational, uh, efficiency-minded, uh, there's all sorts of solutions out there. And I'm, I'm just, it's fascinating to, <laughs> to find out all these businesses that are doing various things with cannabis. And, and have, so I'm excited for this conversation and kind of learn more about the story and, and where this business is going and fairly how, uh, how the directory is uh, growing along with the industry. So with that, Dana, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Yeah, glad to be here and excited to talk more about what we're doing. So Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we kind of jump into everything that's going on today, give us a little of the background. How did you get into cannabis? What was your professional background? Give us a little of the story. Sure, yeah. So I grew up in uh, in Grass Valley, California, which is kind of... How appropriate. 
What's that? <laughs> How appropriate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, everyone knows Humboldt, like, kind of internationally, and then Grass Valley is kind of, like, just on the perimeter of uh, Humboldt, kind of in the gold country. So really good region for cannabis growing. And, you know, so growing up, there was a lot of kind of uh, black market, gray market grows around sure. where we were. And um, my parents are still there. So got into it kind of professionally. You know, my dad actually, uh, he was more of the kind of engineering mind behind it. And he, he had been approached by a few of his neighbors who were just saying, you know, hey, we can't, can't process this fast enough. At that point in time, it's like a lot of medical grows that are, uh, maybe growing a little bit more than their license allows. And so there's a lot of different kind of risks associated with that. And they want to get their harvest down quickly and such. So my dad was kind of an inventive type. And and uh, so he kind of just took a look at the problem, looked at some other equipment that was on the market and went to, uh, went into, he had pretty large, like kind of home shop and came up with the first, uh, the original Terminator. Um, wasn't the first automated trimmer on the market, but it, had a lot of kind of unique features and solved a lot of problems. And so like kind of word of mouth got around on that. And so he was sort of starting to produce, you know, a little bit larger quantities. And I was uh, out of college at that point. I was working for a solar company here in Colorado. I was the director of operations here. And I was looking at what he was doing and looking at the cannabis market. It just seemed so interesting just because there was nothing, you know, it's a whole new market as I'm sure so many of your guests will say, it's just there's so much opportunity to kind of invent things and reinvent things and apply things from other industries. And it's a bit of the Wild West. And so it just seemed like a really good market. It is lucrative, you know, in terms of the cash flow and stuff. So I jumped over and joined my father. And uh, so he removed it kind of from his home garage into a larger facility in Grass Valley, and it's still manufactured there today. So uh, I manage most of the business side, and he managed most of the engineering side, and um, that was the growth story. Yeah. And what exactly, what was the, the your kind of initial product, and what problem were you solving? Who, who was really interested in this? Give us a little sense of kind of what the value you were delivering to the market was. So the initial product was the Terminator Wet. At the time, it was about twice as big as the closest competitor so twice as fast effectively okay and then it also had a automatic mist system on it so it was basically we called it the resin repel system so it was it was basically putting down a really fine layer of water on the drum and that allowed the equipment to run to operate much longer intervals than the competitive products so the customer base at that time was a lot of big outdoor growers in that kind of like humble grass valley region that would be, you know, they would have accumulated a lot of medical licenses. So at that time, it was like under the medical program. And so there were a lot of caregivers with a lot of license or a lot of basically caregiver licenses all accumulated under them. And so they were growing lots and lots of plants. Um, and that was the primary market. And and this would, how would it help them? It would just speed up a production process, increase quality? I mean, yeah, or- I think all of the above. Mostly it would speed up the um, production process. So if you think about the traditional way that it's done is, is hand trimming. And that a good hand trimmer can do, say, two pounds a day. And that trimmer was doing close to 90 pounds an hour. So... <laughs> No, convert yeah. it. It's like 580 people <laughs> or something yeah, so, like that. So like quickly recognize the efficiency there. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but all the same, you know, there's so much stigma to mechanization and hand training and all that stuff. And that's still around today. So it, it took, even though the, the, from the business perspective, the case is really obvious. There's still a cultural aspect of it that, I mean, we're still, we're still overcoming today on even the smaller side of things. So kind of interesting from that perspective, just, yeah. Is that, I mean, it was it that, um, you know, uh, uh, human hand trimmer can just do a, a better job or a nuanced job or is it more of a you know artisan approach like what is it philosophical or is it practical like where where are the arguments or where were the where's the resistance to adoption yeah. i mean the traditional resistance is that at that point in time the trimmers weren't doing a great job you know there were some early iterations of trimmers that just didn't do a very good job and yeah. uh and so they got kind of a bad name to them and then on the other side of it, uh, so there was a quality problem there. And again, that that was relatively solved. Uh, I, I won't say it's like 100% solved even today, but you're talking about a tool in the quiver. So it's going to do 80 to 90% of what the hand trimmers are going to do. So even if you say, hey, it's not perfect, um, it's still going to get you uh, so, so far uh, in terms of efficiency that, you know, a little touch-up work never hurts. So there was there's kind of the quality problem that we had to overcome, and then um, just sort of like the traditional kind of like mentality to the plant. And I don't know, so many people are so attached to it from a sort yeah. of a philosophical, or and I mean the history behind it is so deep that you understand it. And at the time, it was profitable enough on the black market, gray market that you could really like hold on to that and and uh utilize that but now obviously like the prices have really come down and it's much more difficult to kind of like justify i think but those were the original objections and they're still like i said they're still there especially coming from like a state that's been medical historically and really small production it's like you can trim a couple of plants by yourself and you know they're your babies and whatnot and then when you get to a lot larger production (laughs) you kind of quickly realize like oh this is not quite as uh not as much fun or <laughs> yeah it's not really scalable so yeah exactly. yeah they start looking for other solutions yeah what's the um what's the roi on this thing i mean is it is you know if you're running this at a reasonably high volume is it take is this a couple months is it a year how long does it yeah, take to recoup yeah i mean it just sort of depends how many you know how many cycles you're getting out of it but you know like a couple of harvests for sure i mean yeah. a lot of guys going to pay for it in the first outdoor harvest easily yeah. um yeah. yeah so it's yeah i mean it can be huge even for a really small guy you know we have some equipment now that's in a couple thousand dollars and you know you do a couple of harvests with that and you've paid for it and then it's you know it's a fixed cost so now that's your great. overall costs have gone down yeah and, and what are some of the technical challenges actually developing you know these trimmers i mean we're dealing with a uh, a highly variable agricultural product trying to produce, you know, this consistent output. Like what, what are the things you have to overcome or, you know, you had to figure out to produce a, an effective trimmer, you know, volume wise, quality wise, you know, dealing with variability, give us some technical insights. Yeah. I mean, every, every agricultural product is unique. And uh, so no one had ever done any of what we're doing for, for cannabis before. Right. So, um, there's unique properties to the plant and then there's also that make it kind of difficult. Um, one, it's really resinous. So like I said, like cleaning and it, it sticks to everything, you know, if you've ever trimmed or handled wet 
cannabis, you know, it's super sticky. Um, and then there's a bunch of sort of just from a process perspective, if you look at like another thing like corn, for example, right, it's been bred over time to be consistent and cannabis has not been bred for consistency or productivity. And so consistency is what drives efficiency. And so you're still seeing that struggle now in terms of how do you take something that's inconsistent and make it a consistent output? And that's a real challenge all the way through just it being such a young industry, even like geographically, you know, cannabis that's produced in Michigan is going to be different than, you know, can have different properties than, uh, you know, what's happening in the Southeast or what's happening in California or whatever. So all those things create different problems from a production and manufacturing standpoint in terms of the technical aspects of it. Yeah. And, and does that mean your, your solution just has to accommodate all these different variabilities or do you just sort of focus on a particular part of the market or how, how have you approached that from a kind of market fit point of view? Yeah. Well, I think we have different products for different segments of the market at this point. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of segmentation that's happened. And also with the plant, I mean, again, it's like we've kind of followed or we've hoped to be a little ahead of the rest of like we try and produce equipment that's going to be valuable for like someone who's producing in the next three years. Right. So like we're trying like in what's in our R and D pipeline now is going to be what we hope the farmers are going to be asking for in three years. Right. So we're trying to obviously kind of predict the curve of the market and be useful for the market exactly when they need it. And so some of that has come down to like how efficient people have gotten at, uh, using the plant, like, you know, break it into like tops, mids, lowers, you know, and you can use different processes for different things. So like your tops, for example, kind of your top shelf bud, often it's like you can do like a really light run in a trimmer and then touch it up, but you're still going to basically have a top shelf style output. Whereas your, like your lowers, maybe they don't even, you know, maybe you would have thrown those away or put, sent them to to trim for extract in the past, but now it's like we can efficiently process those and then you can mill them for pre-rolls, you know? So it used to be like everyone threw away their trim. Like when we started this, it was like people just compost their trim, right? (laughs) (laughs) And now, and now it's like, like one of the biggest farms we went, like went to, they were running, it was right as it went like rec legal. And they were like, literally we have all these vacuum units on the thing. And they literally had like 10 wet trimmers running 24-7 for a few uh, months. And they were just literally blowing the trim out the side of the building. And then they would just have like a like a excavator come and like scoop it up and take it. And they would just like turn it into the dirt. You know, like I don't know, I don't know how many Jeez. hundreds of thousands of dollars that is now. But like at that point in time, that's what we did, you know. Yeah. So yeah. markets change. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of been interesting that way. And fun that way because every downstream product creates manufacturing opportunities for us. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty cool that way. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And as the company's grown, tell me a little bit about the kind of manufacturing process. I mean, you're, you're still fabricating everything in the U S I mean, what's the pressure and, like, what's the strategy around, you know, as you get bigger, as you really kind of manage costs and production processes, you know, how have you handled that? Yeah, for sure. So we, you know, we've always been manufacturing in the U.S., so we've never out, outsourced anything uh, from our manufacturing. 
uh, when we were Triminator, just uh, just Triminator, we were using a lot of localized suppliers. So we were based in Grass Valley, and so we were pulling from the manufacturing base in Reno, pulling from you know Northern California, pulling a little bit from the Bay Area, Sacramento, like kind of the local manufacturing hubs. And we originally started just using our own machine shops or our own machines inside, but then there's so much seasonality and we were scaling so fast that we quickly realized like we had to kind of go outside Mm -hmm. to do that. And we were all just a bootstrapped operation too. So it was just like family, my dad and I, and just sort of like cash flowing everything ourselves. So that made the most sense. And then, so recently we've, We've uh, joined up with Eteros, so they acquired Triminator, and um, and Eteros, one of the reasons that partnership was really great is just because they have a really high attention to detail, and they really care about the manufacturing process. Like, they just love manufacturing, they love design, and um, they do everything in-house, or as much as they can in-house as well. So now we have the same kind of manufacturing profile in California, we also have a facility in Las Vegas, and then there's a couple of machine shops in Canada. Well, the two uh, Eteros facilities uh, are in Canada, and they're also producing parts. So everything's North American, and everything is, like, vertically integrated at this point. And so it's, uh, you know, historically, that would have been kind of like a lot of people would have said that was that was a strange choice, perhaps, you know? But obviously, in the last year or two, it's been uh, definitely to our advantage just with you look at the yeah. supply chain and all exactly. the issues with China. And like now there's so much effort to kind of like simplify the supply chain and localize it that we're ahead of the curve uh, from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Fortuitous. Tell me about the, uh, the acquisition, the merger. Like what, how did that, like, how did that come about? What was the process like? How has it gone? I mean, th- these can be, you know, s- great strategic moves that can be total clusters. <laughs> that depends on, depends on, you know, what the, what the intentions were and how things play out. Give us some insight. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we had always envisioned kind of an exit, you know, my dad's in the seventies. So when he, when we started this, uh, I don't know, in 2008, like we were always kind of like looking at this kind of as an exit build and exit kind of strategy. And, you know, so we were, we had been looking around for quite a while for kind of the right fit. And it's interesting because in the market, you see like different investor groups are interested in different aspects of cannabis. And so you have to find the right sort of fit for what you're trying to do, or it ends up, like you said, a total cluster, right? Like if you subscribe to like, you know, like there's a lot of people looking for that kind of J curve in terms of investment and return. And, um, and they're looking at like edibles or they're looking at like vapes or something like that, right? Where it's just going to go like crazy. Like if it hits, it goes crazy. And hard goods aren't necessarily quite like that, you know? So we had to find a good pairing in terms of like what the expectations were and how the growth looked and everything like that. And just sort of like a stable trajectory. And Eteros has done really well and we've done really well. But the like kind of values pairing there was really good because they really understood manufacturing, they understood hard goods, they understand the value of the brands, and they have developed the Mobius brand uh, in terms of their line, which sort of speaks to a whole different customer segment than the Terminator line. And so between the two lines, we really have the whole the whole market covered in terms of what we can provide in, in terms of that like producer processor and what kind of tools they need. So trying to fill out that suite, no matter kind of what your scale and what your operation looks like between the Terminator line and the Mobius line, there's 
uh, the right product in that mix, no matter where you are on the spectrum. So it's been really great. Obviously, there's been a little bit of turbulence just as it happens with that kind of thing. But I think just making sure we both had the right alignment of values and expectations and everything really helped helped make it a really smooth transition. So I think it's gone really well. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, tell me a little bit about how, how the business has changed uh, in terms of how you go to market, like who you're selling to, the sales process. How traditionally did you kind of develop leads, close deals, you know, get product into into market? And what's how has that evolved over time as you've grown? Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because <laughs> there was a recent High Times article about like these drones being used in Grass Valley in Nevada County to like basically find illegal grows. Oh, interesting. And yeah. um, and when I first started, like I was pretty young and I was like fresh, like, I don't know. I, so I have a marketing and marketing degree. And so I was like always looking at different ways to generate leads. And I figured like when we first started, I was like, well, they're all illegal growers. Like, how do you find them? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I don't know, for some reason I was on Google Earth and it turns out you could see like basically you can see the hoop houses from Google Earth uh, all over, right? And I was like, oh, I could just like cross-reference these with uh, some uh, names and addresses and, and uh, yep. quickly realized that that was just going to make me enemy number one. Yeah, just gonna uh, say. <laughs> you're not going to make friends. Not going to make friends that way. So, but it was pretty interesting. And now it's like full circle. Like people are concerned about the drones, and I'm, I'm thinking like, well, we you could see them on Google Google Earth in 2007. So like, it's not that. <laughs> it's not yeah, that exactly. Crazy, you don't know? have to worry about the drones. Yeah, that's <laughs> not the issue. Drones uh-huh. are not the issue. But uh-huh. yeah, no. So I mean, early on, we built the brand a lot, which is like on the ground, boots on the ground kind of going to hydro stores and building a reputation a lot of word of mouth like you get in with one grower and they would have a lot of success and they know four or six or eight other growers and you kind of like would hop from sort of pod to pod like that and then after it the market got a little bit bigger so we were really like hitting norcal hard like that with some just reps and demos and you know going uh, like kind of a foot soldier kind of approach and then you know we put a lot of money into marketing maybe 2015, 16, something like that, went really national, pushed really hard and kind of built out the brand. And, you know, it all comes back to just having good products and a good reputation. And we've always been really strong in the customer service. So you always talk to a person. Um, You always, you know, feel like you're treated fairly in terms of your customer service experience. And so that was another way that sort of like Eteros and Mobius and Triminator all kind of like had similar values and met well uh, in terms of two brands coming together so that's kind of like how we built it and now it's maybe a little more sophisticated in terms of like list building and whatnot i mean there's a lot of public lists there's private lists whatever but at the end of the day it just still comes down to you know being able to demonstrate a good product and have a good reputation and pick up the phone when people call you and honor the warranty and stuff so kind of basic stuff but it's harder to implement than it is to say um yeah so yeah, that's the, the backstory there. Yeah. And tell me about some of the product line. So we talked a little bit about the trimmer and you mentioned that there's some other products now that you have available. Like how have you kind of organized and, and what solutions are you kind of providing for what part of the kind of whole processing chain that cannabis goes through? Sure. So, I mean, we basically view our portion of the process as uh, anything from the chop, like basically when the cannabis plant is cut at the stem to, you know, basically pre-packaging. 
So at this point, we have buckers, so that'll take the buds off of the stems and the lateral stems or the lateral branches. And so that'll give you the finished end buds. And then from there, it goes into um, you can either trim it or you can dry it and then you can trim it. So product line kind of weaves in and out depending on the process. But then we have trimmers, both dry and wet combo trimmers and so that'll take the excess leaves off of the bud that are less potent right and then on the trimmed air line we have a, a rosin press and a keef kit so you can take the trim when it's dry you can keef it out or you can like use a process called bubble hash and you can make bubble hash and then you can press that and essentially using heat and pressure get the essential oils out of the um out of the trim or out of the bubble uh, or out of the buds themselves so that's kind of like a mechanical extraction process or a solventless extraction so that's um it's on the terminator line and then you know on the mobius line we have a, a sorter so you can sort by size because you know when you go to retail you go to packaging uh, it's important to be able to grade by size uh, yeah. you can also qc it as part of that process as well and then we have a mill uh which also Basically, if you're going to go to pre-roll, you're going to go to extraction, you want to mill the, um, the flowers or the trim so it's a consistent size. And so that's what the mill does. And then uh, on the terminator line, we, have a, we also have a shredder, which uh, so your stalks and stems, you can just feed those into the shredder and that'll shred it to a very fine particle size. And that's important because a lot of states have regulations requiring it to be unrecognizable more in a smaller kind of consistency that can be mixed with another medium like soil or uh, whatever you might mix it with just to make it unrecognizable and usable. So that's, um, that's kind of like the, the waste aspect of the process. Yeah. Really soup to nuts. Yeah. Um, and what have been some of the challenges? I mean, the, obviously the cannabis market has been going up and down the prices for, you know, flour and for trim has gone up and down. We've, we've dealt with supply chain issues and manufacturing. Like what have you had to kind of overcome the last couple of years in terms of keeping the business going and being successful in market? Yeah, I mean, I think the market is just really dynamic. And I think every business has its challenges. But this one is you never like it. There's a lot of just variables, you know, like you have an overall market variability. And one thing we've seen is just sort of like things are, you know, like there's there's sort of like a microeconomic cycle or factor that happens in cannabis. Like when the price of cannabis is down, you know, like people exit or they don't want to invest in fixed, uh, you know, hard goods. They're just going to mm-hmm. like go for it with variable costs, uh, you know, use hand labor and they don't want to invest. And so they kind of freeze. So in like, actually when California went legal, it was one of our worst years because all the licenses at that time, I don't know, they estimated there was like four, thousand illegal or like medical growers in california and uh you know it took like six months to get 50 growers licensed or something like that and so like everyone that wasn't licensed wasn't going to sign up for equipment you know they didn't want to buy any equipment they may not even have been growing that year and then the ones that were getting licensed well they were like so deep in that process that it really like they weren't that was the least of their problems uh you know like to to buy equipment or process like like they were like well we'll figure that out later we're still just trying to make it through all the hoops so that and that kind of happens at every state you know and so you'll see this like transition from smaller more natural and organic producers and then as it transitions into larger 
more regulated markets, the smaller guys, um, they kind of have to shift their business model or they disappear or they go purely onto the black market. And, um, mm-hmm. and all of that creates different challenges to the business, but definitely that like whenever there's uncertainty, just like any other market that really creates problems for everybody involved in that market, just because nobody, nobody knows what to do. All the spending stops. So historically that's been the biggest kind of challenge, uh, that just comes up again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Dana, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Triminator, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, you can check out uh, theTriminator.com, and uh, that's all about uh, Triminator. And we have a podcast uh, coming out on that as well. So we talk to a lot of farmers and cultivators on there. So if you're kind of interested in hearing the backside of the the story too, that's that's available. But yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Excellent. Yes. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. I'll make sure all the links are on the show notes here, and we'll look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.